Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The Mr. Beacon Podcast presents Rain RFID Explained with special guest Steve Halliday, president of the Rain RFID Association. The Mr. Beacon Podcast is sponsored by Williot, scaling IoT with battery free Bluetooth. So, Steve Halliday, thanks very much for uh, uh, joining us on the Mr. Beacon podcast. We, uh, we, we spent a lot of time in the world of Bluetooth, but um, this podcast is really a continuation of a book that I wrote called Beacon Technology. And in it, we looked at RFID and NFC. And, you know, my view on this is they're all tools in the, in the tool bag. And, and the big thing is knowing you know, when do I use a chisel? Where do I use a saw? It's not that saws are better than chisels. They're just different tools for the job. And I can't think of anyone who's better placed than you to talk about RFID because you are the, uh, the president of the RAIN RFID Association. Um, perhaps the best thing to do is for you to kind of kick us off and explain um, what is RAIN RFID? We've all heard of RFID, but what is RAIN RFID? Thanks, Steve. Thanks for inviting me to be on the podcast this afternoon. That's really nice. Um, RAIN is a particular type of RFID. RFID is very much a, um, an overarching name, and it encompasses lots of different types of technology that, that are RFID, radio frequency identification. Um, you mentioned NFC. NFC is one particular type of RFID. In the same way, what we've tried to do is to brand passive UHF RFID as RAIN RFID. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash achieve today. Uh, we formed the alliance 
back in 2014, um, four companies got together and decided that nobody was doing anything to market this technology. So we should create an alliance whose main goal would be to market the technology to get acceptance broadly for it. Um, and, and that's what we've been trying to do. And I think that's what we're, we're, we're succeeding with right now. So going on for four years, what, who were the four companies that... So the original f founding companies were um, Impinge, SmartTrack, Google, and Intel. And, and all four companies were very actively involved with the technology, um, could see no, no organization doing marketing other than their own individual and other individual organizations. There was no overarching marketing this particular type of RFID. So um, they decided that we needed an association that could look at that and do it. Uh, they invited me to, to help them set it up, which I did. And we've grown since from those four members back in 2014. Um, we now have 155 members, I think it is, from all around the world. Cool. And, and you have a board. Who's on the board? Ah, board members. Always a very interesting situation. Um, we have set our board up so that we have constantly rotating board members. Um, at the moment, we have um, somebody from Impinge, somebody from SmartTrack, somebody from Google, somebody from Avery Dennison, somebody from NXP, somebody from Amazon. And who have I forgotten? Well, it's a who's who, the ones that you've uh, noticed. You can always come back and fill in the gaps um, uh, <laughs> later on. Um, I mean, it seems to me, having uh, viewed your resume, that you've been working on related technologies almost since you left Wallingford Grammar School quite a long time ago. Uh, you were involved in some of the standards work, weren't you? Uh, That's very true, yeah. In fact, I've been working on um, these kind of technologies literally since I left college. That's it. That's the only arena I've worked in. I started off in the magnetic stripe technologies, doing a lot of work with magnetic stripes, migrated on to barcodes and RFID, and have been doing RFID stuff since about 1996, which probably predates most people involved. But as you said, I've been involved very heavily in the standards world. Um, I was convener of the standards, the ISO standards group that wrote the standards for RFID um, for most of the frequencies, the only exception being the NFC stuff. So yes, my background was very much in standards and what I enjoyed doing with standards and I just grew out of that into, into everything else. So. Well, well, can you, because standards are super important in terms of building an ecosystem and having people feel like this is something they should invest in. So can you give us a quick guide to the relevant standards, what they are, how does GS1 fit into this and the ISO standards? Yeah, it's, it's a very complex question that you've asked. And if, if I was to sit here and just recite the names of all the standards, we'd probably still be here two hours from now. Um, the way we in RAIN have looked at this is that the key standard is the air interface. That's the, the standard that defines how the RFID tag talks to the reader. And that's what we have, have internally standardized on um, ISO created a standard called ISO 18000-63, and GS1 have a similar standard. They call it Gen 2 UHF. Those two standards are um, identical. The ISO standard actually has some extra things in it, but, but the GS1 is a complete subset of the ISO standard. 
And we focus very much on that. That's, that's our baseline. That's what we deal with. If somebody manufactures or uses the technology that conforms to that air interface, then we consider them to be a RAIN user. Um, so there are many other aspects of standards, all the way from uh, how do you create numbering systems, which of course is very much the GS1 province, um, that they have had numbering systems that we've been dealing with for many, many years. Those people who've been involved with barcodes um, are probably intimately familiar. Those of us that, that perhaps weren't as involved with, with barcodes have certainly seen those GS1 barcodes on everything you buy in the supermarket. So they are very much involved in, in helping to define a numbering system that we can extend into RAIN tags. Um, other standards that are of equal importance is how do we handle that data once we have it? Once the reader gets its collection of ones and zeros that it reads, how does it format it? How does it transfer it on? And what do we do with it? So there are whole suites of, of standards. And people can go to um, GS1 uh, web page and they can see the GS1 version of those standards which are, are all freely available or, or if you're interested there are say equivalents and, and more on the ISO web pages. So can I adopt a GS1 standard for identifying my products and have that flow across say barcodes um, and uh, um, RFID tags and even Bluetooth beacons? Is that, is that feasible? You, you certainly can. Um, the, the same number will apply to a barcode as applies to the RFID tag at this point. Um, I know that GS1 is looking very closely at other technologies, not wishing to be exclusive to barcode and RFID. Mm -hmm. How that works with a, uh, a Bluetooth beacon at the moment, I, I couldn't actually answer for you. But I know it's their goal that, that they will be completely technology agnostic and, and will work across all um, technologies. Well, we actually have an interview coming up with a um, asset tracking company in the UK who claim to have GS1 compliant uh, Bluetooth beacons, which I think is very unusual. So I'm really looking forward to hearing uh, more about that. Give us a sense of, so you've been going at this for a few years. Where is the industry at? What's the trajectory? What's the scale of uh, RAIN uh, RFID at the moment? Sure. Um, I, I think one of the things that, that perhaps people don't think about and don't realize is that um, we have this buzzword that's out there, the Internet of Things. Almost everybody talks about it in some way or other, and, and what they talk about really depends on who they are and where their focus is. Um, but, but we think that RAIN is going to be one of the primary drivers into the Internet of Things, because if you take it to the thing level rather than what we call the device level, um, so a phone, for example, or a, a Nest thermostat, we think of as devices rather than things because they have intelligence, they probably already have a numbering system built into them, they have communication capabilities. Whereas a thing is a pair of socks, some jeans, um, a mug, or, or whatever. So things that are basically not communicating with the world right now, but if we are to follow through with this Internet of Things concept, we will need to be able to identify them and, and discover them. So we think RAIN is the the ideal mechanism to do that. And so um, in 2016, there were over 10 billion RAIN tags deployed. That means we have identified 10 billion things in 2016 alone. 
Um, that was a growth from somewhere around 5.8 billion, I think, in 2015. I don't have the numbers yet for 2017. We'll have those in a few weeks. Um, and I'm expecting us to be somewhere in the 12, 13 billion for 2017. So if you just take those three years, 15, 16, and 17, we're going to be over 25 billion things identified in the last three years. That, that kind of goes against what many of the companies have been saying in the past five years about we will have 20 billion items, 50 billion items identified by the year 2020. Well, we're pretty much getting there already. And we think that we'll be a lot more yet. I, I thought I saw something from Impinge saying that they'd produce their 25 billionth chip. Obviously, having producing a chip exactly. doesn't necessarily mean it's out there embedded in a sweater or anything. But uh, certainly, it's staggering, absolutely staggering. It's very different numbers than you think about when, when you listen to some of these companies that talk about the Internet of Things. But, but our goal is that the, the technology, which is not just an identification technology, um, we like to talk about being able to um, engage with things. Many of the chips that are now being produced have that capability to engage, to talk to sensors, to um, talk to relays or whatever and actually initiate things. Um, we have full encryption available at the chip level, which means that um, we can authenticate. So if you're not supposed to be able to read it, you won't be able to read it. So and we can do location with, with the technology as well, which gives us a great uh, means of, of providing the full suite of things needed for the IoT to move forward. So how do you prevent someone from reading a tag that's not supposed to read it? Yeah. With Good question. Um, so, so with with full encryption techniques employed in the chip itself, it means that the chip and the reader can exchange tokens backwards and forwards that would identify whether the reader has the rights to talk to that particular chip. So, a, a good example might be, for example, um, let's say, let's say you've got um, some particular illness, you're carrying some particular drugs on you, you don't really want the bad guys to be able to sense that you've got those drugs. People are always worried about uh, walking past people with, with readers and being able to see who they are and what they mm -hmm. do and all the rest of it. If that particular bottle of pills, let's say, is tagged with uh, something that has been encrypted, then only an authenticated reader will be able to read it and, and tell what it was that it was talking to. Of course, we don't deal with uh, human information in tags. We're really talking about a number but there are all ways to access lookups, to, to look at numbers, of course, to a certain extent. The GS1 numbering system is a very public numbering system. It's not hard to find out that this particular number is allocated to um, Procter & Gamble or, or whoever. Um, so, so it wouldn't be hard to find out if it was a drug or not a drug. Uh, but, but by authenticating, by using encryption techniques, we can, we can limit that accessibility. And is that something that can be done at scale? Because what I think of as, you know, one of the strengths of RFID is that you can take a pretty dense set of assets, like all the inventory in, a, in an apparel store, and you can swipe. And, you know, these readers are designed to read at maybe a thousand items a second, which is pretty amazing. Um, can you do decryption at a thousand items a second, or does that kind of? <laughs> no, it's you. You can't. Not not today, anyway. Um, I must admit, the uh, 
that the tag chip developers and the reader developers are all increasing the performance of everything almost every month, it seems. Um, we're not quite at that speed for, for full decryption yet, but, but we'll get closer to that. And, and you have to decide, do we really need that kind of speed for that kind of operation? And the answer is probably no. Um, we do need speed if we're going to start doing some of these inventory things um, at high speed. I was talking to somebody the other day who is uh, looking at employing drones to fly up and down the aisles in a warehouse to actually do full inventory uh, of the warehouse using drones moving up and down, which, which I thought was a really neat idea. Yeah, um, and obviously they need very high speed read and so forth to be able to do that if they're going to fly these things up and down. That's just so awesome. I love it. Drones and auto identification. Um, so let's talk about price because that's got to be one of the gating factors. And you're kind of in this position, which kind of one hand is difficult because you don't represent any one particular vendor, but you have this bird's eye view. What's, what's your assessment of if I'm going to buy um, a thousand tags, um, just a vanilla tag, no encryption, no sensors, what am I going to pay for a thousand uh, RAIN RFID tags? And if I'm going to buy um, a million or a billion, what, what, what does that price curve look like very roughly? with all the caveats you'd like to add. Yeah, it, 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 it's hard for me to answer the question. And, and I must preface the question with saying, of course, that um, you have to look at the application and make sure that the, the tags that you're buying are suitable for the application. Um, we do have instances where people buy tags and then find that, that they just don't work in the, the application they were hoping for. But but. I'll give you some ranges. If you're going to be buying a thousand tags, you're probably going to be spending between 30 and 40 cents each. Mm -hmm. um, if you're going to buy a million, it's going to come down. If you're going to buy a billion, we're probably getting much closer to the to the four cent level, uh, depending on the tag that you want. Of course, some tags um, we have what we call hard tags, where the, the 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 tag part itself is embedded in a hard plastic case. They, they may be a dollar or more, depending on what it is you're trying yeah. to do. Well, that's, I think, very, very useful for people to get kind of get that uh, that sense. Let's talk a bit about use cases, because this is just so interesting. This, OK, we can now identify everything, but what are we going to do with that knowledge? And tell us where you see the let's first of all talk about the sweet spots in terms of what's um, driving the volume today. And then I'd like to kind of get your sense later on about, um, you know, where where this is going and some of the more tangential but interesting uh, use cases. So where's the sweet spot? Yeah, I think obviously the, the, the one that we have to talk about today is retail. Um, retail is where it's happening for, for my industry at the moment. Um, I've just come back from the National Retail Federation show in, in New York, um, in which we saw lots of applications where RFID is in use or being thought of as use. And, and there's no doubt the majority of those 10 billion tags that were deployed in 2016 went into retail applications. Um, companies, re retail started some years ago for, for Rain uh, with a, a case and pallet mandate from Walmart never really took off in the, the kind of volumes people thought it would take off. Probably a million reasons why. Um, maybe the technology wasn't quite there as well amongst in all of that. Since then, technology has increased dramatically in performance and reliability. 
And, and now we're talking about item tagging. We're not really talking about cases and pallets anymore. And, and it seems to work so well that everyone wants to do it. Um, we see statements from people like Macy's who are going to be 100% tagged before the end of the year, they hope. Um, companies like Decathlon, a major sports store in, in the rest of the world, except for the US, um, where they are nearly a thousand stores and all of them are completely rain enabled. 90 something percent of every item in the store has a rain tag on it. They use it for everything from inventory to point of sale. And, and so we're seeing more and more of those. On our website, um, rainrfid.org, we, we have a, a section devoted to retail and we've identified a hundred retailers that are actively using the technology at this point. So we just see that growing like crazy in the next two to, to five years, mostly two years. But what are the business benefits? What, how do they justify doing it? I mean, as a technologist, I love the fact that you could identify everything in the store, but, but why? What, what's the argument that the innovation department gives to the uh, CFO that allows him to buy a billion tags? So, so I think the big one, the one perhaps that has been publicized a little bit, but the one that seems to be um, a key for many of our um, suppliers is that um, we can start talking about the whole story of the goods. Um, there are many instances where just a straight inventory doesn't give us the whole story. It's great that we can look at the warehouse, we can look at the things in the back of the store, but what we really also need to know is what's happening in the front of the store. And, and perhaps the Macy's example is a great example. Um, they did a pilot with shoes. And in Macy's, like many other department stores, they've only got so many square feet that they can put shoes out on. So typically there's only one shoe of each style out on the floor. So during the day, somebody would come in, like the shoe, and the one that the size that they wanted happened to be there was one on display. They'd try it on, they'd buy it, they'd leave, and there'd be a gap. So that shoe was no longer on display, therefore basically no longer for sale until somebody went to the back room and replaced it. They moved over to tagging all of the shoes, and Macy's reported something like a 9% increase in sales in the shoe department. And that was purely because they were able to keep the stock in front of the customers. So when you look at that and you look at some of the, the omnichannel things that are going on where you sit at your computer and you order things and you want to know if it's in the store or if it can be shipped to the store and, and all the rest of it, suddenly by, by knowing what's out on the floor as well as what's in the back room, you have a much better way of keeping your customer um, happy and supplying them with what they need. Uh, you, you probably remember many times thinking you wanted to purchase something. You might even have gone to the website and looked and said, yes, they've got six in stock. And when you get there, they've got none. So that's because they don't have the true visibility into what they've done. And the inventory you were looking at might have been several days old. With RFID, we can make that inventory almost in instantaneous. By, by using handheld readers on the shop floor or overhead readers, we can monitor what's going on dynamically. And if you go back in time to when the term Internet of Things was coined, Kevin Ashton um, was the person who, who used that term first. He was working for a company um, who, who wanted to look at 
um, a problem they had with, with lipstick. They wanted to be able to keep the lipstick available to people. Um, they had a problem with people coming in, looking at the lipstick, moving it and putting it back in a different place. So when the next person came in and wanted this particular shade of red or pink or whatever, it wasn't where they expected it to be. And so they left without purchasing it, when in fact it might have been right there on display, just not in the right place. So Kevin came up with this concept of identifying lipsticks and knowing where they were. And if it got put back in the wrong place, it would send a, a flag and someone could come out and put it back in the right place. And he coined the term Internet of Things because he thought that was how, how things should work. Since then, that term's come to mean many other things. But, but we've moved on, and, and that system, which he thought of as an RFID-based system, is exactly what's happening right now. Think of jeans. If you're like me, you hate going clothes shopping. So you know what jeans you like to wear. You know what size you want. You go to the store. You look at the racks. You say, oh, it should be here. Oh, none there. Goodbye. And, and you leave. You don't go looking around for it because, hey, we're guys, and we don't do that, right? Um, so... If the store was able to keep things in the right place, they'd stand a much better chance of making that sale, making me happy, and presumably making me a recurring customer who would come back to them. Well, I remember talking to American Apparel uh, years ago when they were kind of at the bleeding edge of this. And one of the things they said was all the things that you mentioned as a benefit, the fact that they could do an inventory check sort of in a fraction of the time and also leakage the theft from employees went way down when you know where everything is and when it disappeared. It's amazing how people tend not to nick it quite so often. I, I mean, I think it's not just employees, of course. I mean, we all hear stories all the time of people who um, put a barcode from one item onto another one so that they can buy a, a extreme a 65 inch TV for the price of a 25 inch or whatever. Um, and, and when you've got tags embedded in things, maybe directly embedded in the packaging, um, certainly not visible because we don't need to see the tag in the same way that, that a barcode needs to be visible. An RFID tag can be embedded in the card and we can still read it very clearly. That makes it much harder for someone, whether it's going out the back door or the front door, to, make, to eliminate that, that kind of problem. So yes, I think that's important. And the other thing that I heard recently, I was speaking to the general manager for um, one of a really big IoT company, uh, and he said, since Amazon bought Whole Foods, their retail business has exploded because it's just put the fear of God. It's like, what motivates you to spend money? It's either kind of greed or fear, and it turns out fear is actually a really good motivator. Yeah, I, I think that's very true. It's interesting that you, you raise the Amazon question, of course, because this week um, the Amazon Go store went live in, in Seattle. For a long time now, many people have been speculating that RFID was in use in that store. Um, it, it turns out that's not the case. They, they have other techniques that they're using for that store. But, but there, they, there you have a store that's completely automated. You don't have checkout people who check you out that they have a system that they've developed using cameras and, and weights and all sorts of things to, to monitor it. Um, the, the, the Alliance had a, a meeting in Shenzhen in China back in October, and we were lucky enough to have one of the um, ministers from METI in Japan come to give a presentation. 
And he talked about the fact that, that in Japan, that the convenience stores, that the 7-Eleven the type stores, have a major problem being able to afford staff to run them. And so they have started a project that they call the 100 billion tank project, in which they will completely eliminate the staff in those convenience stores. They reckon it will take 100 billion tags a year to maintain it, um, but it will be completely rain RFID driven. Now, that, that's really exciting for us, obviously, because 100 billion tags a year is 10 times more than we, we were at in 2016, and we were really pleased to be a fan number. But obviously, it also brings a lot of other challenges in that um, the price obviously has to drop for, for, to be able to tag um, like packets of, of chewing gum, for example, obviously the price has got to fall. And I use the chewing gum example, of course, because that's where a lot of our industry started. The first barcode that was scanned ever in a, a grocery store was a packet of chewing gum. So, um, but the, 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 uh, the members of, of the alliance are working hard with the Japanese government to try and create a system where it can be affordably done. They have to be able to encode those tags, obviously, at high speed. Um, and whilst we can, to a a majority of an extent, some of the things that are produced are perhaps at even higher speeds than we're used to using right now. So I know several of the, the manufacturers are working to, to solve that problem for people. So this is the production what, line. If you're creating sort of consumer packaged goods in large volumes, then these are then it's these are coming off at rocket speed. And so you need to keep up with that. Yeah. So, I mean, again, go back to the packet chewing gum. Obviously, when they pack those things up, they fly off the line at probably hundreds if not thousands a minute and you've got to be able to encode every single one of them individually so, so how do you do that and drop the price because what you're asking for is a high-speed computer to be put in, in and 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 they're saying oh i'm sorry four cents is too expensive and how do how do people like nxp and impinge make any money out of selling chips good question yeah. I, I i mean obviously i'm not in their companies and can't answer for them as to how they will do it. But there are there are ideas that are being talked about as to how we can actually achieve that high-speed encoding um, so that those items will become unique items. Uh, and and there, there are a couple of ideas that are being floated, some of which look very feasible right now, and, and I think there are tests underway to try and prove that, that that will work and will do exactly what the Japanese government needed to do. So we'll get there, and we'll get there very fast because the goal of the the project in Japan is to be up and running in many stores before the end of this year. Well, I think you're telling a very clear story about kind of the value for supply chain, for um, competing with these Amazon's aggressive, innovative uh, efforts. And I feel like that's clearly, there's a lot of room for expansion. The area that I'm not so clear about is the consumer, after the consumer's taken the product from the store and their engagement with the product. And I'd love to get your opinion on that because I think this is terribly hard. I mean, not that the other stuff's easy, uh, but uh, at least, you know, you have workers that work for you and systems that you can dictate, but you can't tell consumers what to do. Um, uh, and I guess in your space, the consumer doesn't interact with uh, Rain RFID anyway. It's it's that's really more an NFC thing. But I'd be interested in your view as to whether there's a consumer play here and maybe looking over the the wall at the NFC folks. Do you see there's any 
future where consumers will be interacting with their 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 t-shirt or their jeans or other products? I, I do. I do. I very much do. Um, one of the conversations that we're constantly having is when do we think we will have rain-enabled cell phones? That um, there is one available now um, coming out of China. There are people who offer the ability to add rain readers into an Android phone using uh, a reader built into a SIM chip that you can just put in the phone. And, and we know of um, phone companies who are aggressively pursuing the phone manufacturers, aggressively pursuing how to build the readers into the phone. And, and, and you're exactly right. The, the big question is why? Now, with NFC, it, it's been kind of cool. We've all been able to play with NFC and do all sorts of things. Um, and, and we see the same sort of thing happening with, with rain, but in a different way. And I guess the best, the best buzzword to use right now is, is augmented reality. Um, we're seeing demonstrations from some of the, the phone company, phone manufacturing companies about how they want to use augmented reality with the phones so it's help you do your shopping. So for example, you might want to go into a store, you'd hold your phone up looking at the screen, it would see the shelf displays and it would be able to tell you exactly where the items on your shopping list are located on the display. Um, it might even be able to do things like point out that if you bought company B rather than company A, you might save some money. And, and the, the phone manufacturing companies are very interested in that side of things. And we see that's not an NFC thing. The range for an NFC tag isn't sufficient to be able to do that kind of thing, whereas rain tags can be read quite happily at, at distances up to, to 10 meters or more. Um, so easily we can identify everything in the store and, and the augmented reality brings it to, to the customer. It might be a, a, another way of looking at it is um, you might go into your kitchen and, and use your phone to actually look at what's in your shelves. And so you could have an application that would quite easily develop your shopping list for you. It, it would say, oh, Steve, you're out of that um, barbecue sauce that you love so much. Did you realize you had none on the shelf? Add it to the, to the shopping list. Yeah, I agree. So now I, can, I scan my whole kitchen. I go off to the store. I scan the store. It tells me where things are, reminds me that I need them, and does it all for you. I, having spoken to a few retailers about this, I think they'd give their eye teeth to solve the re replenishment problem. Having a button, even though that Amazon thing was very, very cool, what, what I hear from people who have spent a lot of time looking at it is it's been a great commercial success because basically those dash buttons – are an advertising opportunity, but once people buy them, they press mm. them once and that's it. They never get used again. <laughs> Whereas if your phone could know that you're running out of cornflakes uh, or maybe even some more valuable uh, yeah. uh, item and reorder and make sure you're never, I mean, the, the brands would love it, the retailers would love it. Uh, the whole supply chain gets optimized around consumption. I, I think that's an incredible exciting vision. No, obviously we're not there i mean I, I have a phone here on my desk that has rain built into it um it works very very well it's not a fully functioning phone because there are it's a prototype and there are some development issues still to be dealt with so it's not something that company is about to offer tomorrow but i'm sure that, that it's high on their list of looking at as to how they can do that they see the market 
the phone manufacturers are very much involved with the augmented reality side of things and very much want to be able to achieve that. So I would say, ah, put, put my um, guessing hat on here and, and say probably within two years we'll be able to buy phones with, with RAIN RFID readers built into it with all of the, the applications that that's going to bring to us to, to do even more new things. Well, Imagine expensive. being able to find your socks when you've misplaced them. I mean, well, yeah. and actually, <laughs> that solve the mystery of where does that odd sock go? I, I, yeah, it's that. one of the <laughs> lasting mysteries. So very good. Well, we've had a great view of the future. You've given us a, uh, some interesting perspective on on the past. Um, so Steve Halliday, uh, president of Rain RFID Association. This has been a, a great conversation. Thank you so much. Thanks very much, Steve. If I can just add one thing before we go. Sure. Um, Rain is going to hold an event on the 7th of March, and we invite everybody to come. It will be held at Google headquarters in um, Sunnyvale, California. You can go to the Rain website, rainrfid.org, and, and get the details for it. We have a fantastic day of speakers talking about all of the aspects of, of technology. Um, the event's being held in cooperation with the NFC Forum and AIM. So there will be lots of people who have got lots of knowledge that you can learn all about. So I invite you and all of your listeners to come along to the event. You can register from the website. Thanks I'm, for having me. I'm going to do that. I'll see you there. Okay, great. Thanks, Steve. Cheers. Bye. The Mr. Beacon Podcast is sponsored by Williot. Scaling IoT with battery-free Bluetooth. 